Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So we're doing the second part on this little series called Home. Um, and because you've all got fake Bibles here, I just thought we'd do the whole thing through like kind of FaceTime or something like that. If I just speak into FaceTime, then we can just all look at it through the phones as opposed to like real life things, which obviously is what matters most. Just joking. Um, but I looked at last week um, after I've just had a go at everybody in the congregation. Um, looked at last week, the idea of non-condemnation and the idea of coming, coming home and um, looking at the story of Again, I don't like the title, but it helps us know what it is. Look at the story of the prodigal son and the fact that in that story, it's actually a story about a father who has two sons. And that those two sons are both away from him. One is out in eventually in a pigsty after party and one is in the field. That they're both looked trying to establish their own lives. The one wanted to be the kind of hard-working kind of successful I've made my own life kind of son um, the other one wanted to be the one that was this kind of celebrity culture that I've got loads of money look at me how amazing my kind of life is but they both lost those identities that the one who tried to be the celebrity culture he he ended up living with pigs and became lower than the pigs in that in that setting and then the one who was in the field forgot that he was a son forgot who he was in his quest to be successful had forgotten who he was and started to relate himself as a servant as opposed to a son um both compared themselves um the one who and actually both compare, compare themselves to servants both say actually we're not really sons anymore we're going to communicate with servants or we're going to compare ourselves to servants and I think that, that kind of shift is really interesting that because they tried to establish their own identities they lost their own identities and therefore slipped into comparison isn't that interesting that whenever I find myself in comparison maybe that's because I don't feel secure in my identity because maybe I've tried to establish my own I've tried to do something that this, this is who I am this is what I am it, this is the thing that marks me out this is my usp um this is the kind of thing that makes me stand out in a world where everybody's trying to stand out this is the thing and in trying to do that perhaps i lose something of who i am i end up in a place i don't want to be and then maybe i then start to compare whether well i'm better than them and i'm probably not quite as bad as that or actually i'm not as good as them but i'm, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle and this side the kind of journey that these two sons went on um and the beautiful part of this story is that the father came to both of them. The both of them experienced the father coming to them. One on a path as you walk back to the father's home. The other one in a field as the father went out to him. The one was on the way back to the father because he felt sorrowful and regret. The other one and the father came through in that state of sorrow and regret. Yet the other one was angry and the father came to him when he was angry. And I think that's really important because I think often in modern Christianity we would accept the fact that yeah when when someone's sorrowful and regretful that's when God involves in their life that's when God comes to them in that in that state and we kind of go actually so what we do as Christians then we say okay well that person is truly sorrowful and therefore I can reach out hand of compassion to them because that's what God would do but actually God in this case as Jesus is presenting the father in the most articulate way in terms of words he's done before he presented the father saying actually even when the, the, old, the older son was angry the father went to him 
when the older son was condemning everybody else, when the older son was, was saying it's not as bad as his younger brother, when the older son was saying, you've not cared for me, you've not looked after me, the father still went to that son in that place of anger. And that's really interesting because we often, I often will go, well, that person looks like they deserve compassion or grace or love because they, they genuinely regret what they've done. They, 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 they generally reckon they made a mistake. But that person over there is much harder to deal with because that person is angry. That person there is blaming everybody else around them. That person over there doesn't seem to warrant my compassion or deserve my compassion. That person over there actually has just tried to make their own status, their own identity. Actually, they don't deserve it. They need to be more sorrowful, more regretful. And yet God books that trend massively by going, actually, I'm going to come to you in your anger. I'm going to come near to you in your place of anger. The beautiful thing about this, and I just think it's Jesus just wonderfully weaving this in, is that both of them experienced the lavishness of the father. The, the, the son who came back from trying to make his life as a celebrity, he came back and um, as he's speaking, the father just lavished on him his identity again. Get the ring, get the cloak, get the fatty calf, let's party because this is my son who's come back. The, the father was just so lavish in his expression, his demonstration of love and grace and compassion that it shut the son up. He didn't have a chance to even kind of start to regurgitate his whole pre-made up line. That it shut him up because the father was so lavish towards him. No sense of condemnation, no sense of like, well, you should have done better than that, you should have behaved better than that. None of that. Just complete and utter over-the-top lavishness of restoring his identity and showing what the father's heart is towards him. And the other one, it doesn't necessarily see it in the same, same um, demonstrative way, but the line the father uses to him, it says, look, everything I've got is yours. Everything I've got is yours. That, that lavishness of going, actually, there's nothing off limits. All I have is yours. And if we even spend time, for me, I've been thinking about that and meditating on that, but just starting to think, think about what that says. That the father is saying that Jesus has come to show the father. The father is saying that everything he has is ours. And yet we somehow reset to this idea of actually, I've only just got enough to get by. I've only just got enough of this stuff. And it's funny because we see it all the time, don't we? That there's something wired into our DNA of of, um, Zach and Levi can be playing wonderfully together. And then one of them will decide to go and play on, I don't know, the um, Nintendo Switch or something like that. And then suddenly the other one wants to play on the Nintendo Switch, despite the fact you just sat there for the last hour with no one playing on it whatsoever, and then one of them wants to play it, now the other one wants to play on it. Or one of them will want to watch something on telly, and then suddenly the other one wants to watch something on telly at that point in time. Or even in non-human terms, there's this wonderful thing that our rabbits, um, lovely, lovely rabbits, but as soon as you introduce food or something that they like it's like they've never ever eaten in their life before and it's this kind of fire and competition over that thing because there's something in our dna there's, there's something that happened i believe when adam and eve ate that apple when humanity fell that just told us there's a lack there's something that just told us actually there's not enough because i believe in this story you you've got two people that are trying to make it for themselves and Jesus is challenging that thing that, that, that transcends the um, promiscuity or the prodigal living of the son who went and tried to kind of celebrate and party and all that kind of stuff. And that it also shifts over into the one that worked in the field. That both of them, in their circumstances, reached a point of lack, of not having enough. And Jesus is almost trying to say, look, the human condition, without a revelation of who the father is, that you don't think you've got enough. Is that you think in lack. You, you think thinking not enough and 
I believe that Jesus is painting this picture going, look, this is how lavish, this is how abundant, this is how much the Father has to give. That there's no limit to it. There's no kind of like, well, you can have this bit of this or you can have this of this. It's just complete and utter over-the-top lavishness. And I think he's trying to address and deal with that kind of sense of lack that eats away at the inside of us. That when I'm encountering situations that I can encounter and think, okay, I'm not sure, or I'm anxious about this, I'm not, not sure what to do. Imagine if, if I didn't have a doubt about having wisdom to deal with the situation. That whatever situation I faced that I knew, because Jesus has been made it to be wisdom, I've got the wisdom I need to deal with that situation, or to deal with that parent, or to deal with that friend, or to deal with that, that child at school. I've got the wisdom of God to know what to do with them, to know how to manage that situation. Not, not so my life's just better, but so their life's better too. Imagine not having any, lack, or any doubt of lack about that. Because Jesus didn't. Jesus encountered every situation and knew exactly what to do in those situations. Imagine encountering anybody who was sick and not having a doubt in your mind that when you prayed for them, there was enough health to come and restore them. Or that meeting a financial situation and then going, actually, I've got no doubt, and just calling the kind of fish to bring coins to provide. Or food for 5,000 people. I mean, I've only got this, but actually there's more than enough. If we start to let it and just start to look at the life of Jesus, we just start to say, actually, wait a minute, he never lacked. Now, that doesn't mean we draw and consume to ourselves, because that in itself is a lack thing. As soon as I start to try and stockpile, that really reveals that on the inside of me, I believe in lack. Because I'm going, actually, I've got to stockpile it for me, because one day I might not have enough. Yet yeah, in the life of Jesus, Jesus never did that. Why? Because he knew no matter what circumstance I'm in, no matter where I am, no matter what's happening around me, no matter how obscure it might be, there'll always be enough. And that, that's what Jesus is trying to communicate through this thing. Look, both in my affection for you and the things you need and the kind of um, safety you need and all that stuff you need, the health, whatever it is, there's more than enough. There's just this abundance of more than enough. And I think it's really powerful that we don't hear either response from either son. That Jesus leaves it open-ended, especially the older son. He just leaves it open-ended. The, the, there's no response from the older brother. He just does what he does, and then, the, then Jesus stops telling the parable, stops telling the story. And probably because the audience he's telling this parable to probably would relate to the older son more than the, the younger one. And therefore, he's almost like, okay, I'm finished now. How are you going to respond? Faced with that kind of lavishness, faced with that kind of like unconditional, unlimited affection and love and, and provision, how are you, Pharisees? How are you, Sadducees? How are you guys going to respond in the face of that? Because that's what the Father looks like. The way that you think he looks like is completely wrong. That's what he looks like. And this is a beautiful story because Jesus obviously demonstrates the heart of the Father in miracles and in other parables and in, and in kind of the way he interacts with people from every range of society. But this is the story where he, for me, he, he articulates with words what it looks like. All, all the others you kind of interpret, whereas this is him literally going, this is what my Father looks like. You want to see what he's like? This is what he's like. I'm going to tell you what he's like. I'm not going to show you. I'm going to tell you what he's like. So there's no doubt. There's no kind of room for misinterpretation. This is what he's like. I want to pick up this idea again of home. That, that the whole point of this is where the father came to them and made his home there. 
that he didn't wait for them to come to the family home. He, he had this home and he saw one in the field, one on the path, and he went to them. And that in itself is a beautiful thing, that, that God is coming to us. That by sending Jesus, it just demonstrates that again, that God didn't wait for us to earn our way back to heaven. He went, okay, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come and be Emmanuel with you. That He didn't then just go, okay, now I've been Emmanuel with me, just copy my example. He then said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, he's going to come and make his home with you. The whole emphasis of the Father and of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is to come and be with us. And as, as this morning, God is with us this morning, and it's that kind of idea of, okay, he's with us, and he's, he's posing the same question. Everything I have is yours. What's your response? What's our response to that? Do we somehow try and work our way out of it in some way, or do we actually let it start to sink in and go, does that, does that mean? And the answer is yes. Does that, does that mean this? And the answer is yes. That almost just would love to hear the kind of dialogue of the, of the son saying, okay, so everything I've got, so I can do this. He's like, of course you can. So I can go and do this. Of course you can. So this is available, absolutely. There's this constant availability of, of the father's heart, of the father's possessions, of the father's purpose, everything about it was, was poured out for both those sons. And as he comes to us, it's the same thing. It's then starting to explore that with him and go, okay, does that mean then this? And then that, that starts to impact and shape the way we are. So I'm going to look at another story um, to do with Mary and Martha. Now, I completely forgot to actually send out the verses for this, but I wanted you to spend some time thinking about how they connect. I'm not asking you to say anything right now, but just to, for me, there's a real significant connection in that. And I want to kind of explain where, explain where I came from with it. Um, but perhaps at the end we could look at anyone else's viewpoints or things on it too so if you just go to Luke 10 I'm going to spend the entire time in Luke today so you could just stand up Luke and just talk if you wanted to so Luke 10 verse 38 it says this now it happened as they went that he entered a village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I want to just go through the story a little bit, and then kind of put it back into uh, what we looked at to do with the, the father with two sons. Um, a few things. I'm going to go through it bit, bit, bit by bit. First things first. We know this story well, but, but what always catches me out, and I never ever recognise this, is it was Martha who invited Jesus into the home. Not Mary because Martha gets a really bad press in this story okay we all know don't we don't be like Martha be like Mary that that's kind of like Sunday school 101 okay but she gets a really bad press but actually it's Martha who invited Jesus into the home so Jesus coming to this area this this village I think it calls it um yeah, to the village and Martha's the one that's taking the initiative Martha's the one that's going to okay, Jesus will you come into our home Secondly, which I think is really important, is the line um, that says this. Um, and it says, And she, so Martha, had a, had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. 
Now the fact that says, and also sat at his feet, implies the fact that Martha was sitting at the feet of Jesus. So again, we have this really kind of bad impression of Martha. The Martha doesn't care about Jesus. All she cares about is serving. All she cares about is doing the dishes and cleaning up and all that kind of stuff. Or that it's just fussing around and doing that kind of stuff. And we create this kind of very negative image of her. And therefore, in our psyche, we kind of go, well, I don't want to be like Martha, so I won't be like Martha. I'll be like Mary. And actually, we don't allow it to realise that actually there's a lot of good stuff about her here. That she invited Jesus into into her home. That she sat at the feet of Jesus hearing his word because Mary did it says also so both of them are doing this both of them are in this situation where they're listening and engaging with Jesus now the shift comes here um, because then it says but Martha and that we always know in any English thing or any biblical thing is used often but means a change in direction so Martha has been sitting in the feet of Jesus she has been engaged with Jesus she cares about Jesus deeply this is not somebody who is prioritising other things over Jesus the heart of Martha is to, to, to prioritise Jesus she wanted him in a home she wanted to listen to, to his word and then she's probably thinking I want to make sure he's taken care of I want to make sure that he's looked after I want to make sure that my home is appropriate for him that he's taken care of and there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff um, but it says that, but Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Now, I believe that there's a real resonance in that expression that's similar to the elder son. If you think of the tone, look, Jesus, do you not care that I'm doing this stuff while she just sits there and does nothing? Can you tell her to help, please? That there's a similar thing of the father saying, look, what, it's not fair that you're throwing a party for that son of yours and not for me. It's that idea of injustice. It's that idea of actually, I'm doing all this hard work. I'm doing all this good stuff. They, they're doing nothing. She's just sitting at your feet. He's just had a party despite the fact he's messed up your reputation, father. There's the same kind of idea. And, and, and again, it cuts to this thing of, okay, what is happening on the inside of Martha? And Jesus knows what's happening on the inside of her and, and, he, and he kind of shifts the, the kind of thing and it's for me it's a beautiful thing because it's almost showing the suggestion in Martha's mind that actually just you don't care and she's not necessarily saying um, you're not good she's not even saying that I don't want you in my home because clearly she does what what she's really communicating by this thing is that Jesus you don't care about me and how often does that kind of creep across though that we see things good things happen for the people that we see God move in other situations that we see breakthrough and whatever it may be and we sit there and go I kind of wish that was me or I wish that happened in this situation I'm facing or oh God do you not care about what's going on with me and that with the, with the eldest son and with Martha is, a, is the narrative it's, like, it's not fair what's happening to them it's not fair the lavishness you've just poured out on my brother Who's, who's just gone and squandered all your wealth, who's gone and just been with prostitutes and just partying and stuff, he's come back and you just lavished on him again. That's not fair. I've been working in the field. In the same way Martha's going, look, it's not fair, Jesus, that she's just sitting at your feet, getting all this good stuff, and I'm serving over here. It's not fair. Do you not care about me? Tell her to come and help me. Tell him he's got to come and work in the field for a bit to earn back what's there. And again, it's this idea that Jesus is, is, is trying to address both in the story form of the prodigal son 
in the parable, but also in the real life example of Mary and Martha, this idea that actually it's not about your serving, it's not about your working in the field, it's not about your efforts in the sense of like your do, do, do that's going to cause me to lavish stuff on you. There's nothing wrong with Martha serving. There's nothing wrong with the son working in the field. There's nothing wrong with those things. The problem is the reason why they're doing those things. The Martha's serving because of another motivation. That the son's working in a field because of another motivation. And Jesus is correcting that way of thinking. Saying, Look, actually, you're not doing that to get anything from me. Because everything I've got is yours. Everything I have is already yours. Go and work in the field, that's absolutely fine. Go and serve, that's no problem at all. But don't do it to get what's already yours. Don't do it to get that thing which you already have. But Martha's in this mindset, like, you, you don't care about me. You're not giving this stuff to me. I'm, why, why am I the one doing this? And she's the one just sitting. And Jesus then corrects her, and he, he kind of gently does it. But Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. So what's Mary done is Mary has sat at the feet of Jesus. Mary's, Mary's home. She, she sat with Jesus and received everything that he has. In the same way that the, the younger son, when he came up with all his excuses, with all his, his re- reasons why he wasn't worthy to be a son, why he wasn't worthy to, to have anything from his father anymore, but he, he received it anyway. He took it on, and they had a party, and he received it all. In the same kind of way, Mar- Mary's sitting there going, okay, I'm going to sit at your feet, Jesus, because I know that by sitting at your feet, I received something. Or maybe I didn't know that before, but I do now. And, and Mary's sitting there, and, she, and she's taking, and, and everything that Jesus has, he's giving to her, and she's, she's receiving. But Jesus is aware that Martha's insecurity, that Martha's anxieties, that Martha's... Um, belief system that actually I've got to earn this stuff to receive it from you Jesus that I've got to work hard to be seen as the one in the community that works hard to make sure there's a good place for you that that Jesus said look that stuff is fine but that's going to be taken away from you your identity associated with being a good housewife or a good hostess or your identity with working harder or or the the things you gain from all that stuff is going to be taken away from you what will never be taken away from you is what I give to you What will never be removed from you is what you get sitting at my feet. What will never go away is is what you receive from me. Because no matter what circumstance you're in, whether you're in the field, whether you're serving in the house, whether you've you've made mistakes and gone and done all kinds of promiscuous living, whether you are just sitting at my feet, whatever state you're in, there's always more than enough. And it's never going to be taken away from you because I'm giving it to you and I'm limitless. and 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 there's no limit to what I give to you. And there's just one really powerful thing that, that I think, for me, is quite subtle. But I think Jesus is addressing this idea that by your do, 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 Martha, you think you're going to gain what Mary's getting by just sitting. And you're annoyed because you think you've got to earn it, whereas you think she's just getting it free. And Jesus is actually saying, look, it's free for you. Just, just come and sit. It's free for you as well. And I think so much with the elder son, it's the same thing, that he believes by doing in the field, working, working, working in the field, he'll get what was already his. It's free. And the Father's saying to us today, and Jesus is saying to us today, and the Holy Spirit's come to make it real for us today, that actually it's free. It's free. There's no strings attached. Just come and sit 
with me. Come and receive from me. Come as we did this morning. Worship me and gaze at me and, and realize actually it's free. Limitless wisdom, limitless wealth, limitless health, limitless um, restoration of soul, mind, body, spirit, whatever it may be, limitless, whatever's needed is there and it's free. It's not earned, it's not worked for, it's free. And Jesus is saying to Martha, in the same way that he painted the picture, just come and be with me in the prodigal son. Just, just come and let me be with you. Just come home. Come and sit at my feet. Come, come and be in this place. And for me, there's a really interesting part with this that we so often do this thing with, with, with Mary and Martha's story that Martha, we, and we know it, got it wrong because she was trying to earn God's free grace, God's free gift. She was trying to earn it. Whereas Mary just received it freely didn't try and earn it and we kind of just go that there's just those two situations and, I, and, and there is but I often think that we miss the fact that it wasn't that Mary did nothing she didn't just do nothing because almost you have three in my mind you've got Martha over here who is working 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 to earn what Jesus is giving for free you've then got over the other side the idea of actually I'm just going to do nothing I'm going to do nothing to earn what Jesus has done for free and it sounds great I don't, I'm not going to work for it Martha works for it I'm not going to work for it I'm not going to try and earn it I'm just going to receive it I'm just going to receive it I'm going to sit I'm going to watch telly I'm just going to receive it I'm going to just just as I'm walking around I'm just going to receive it and it sounds okay but actually what Mary did is Mary did something that's, that's not in the middle but is different to this yeah. Mary sat at Jesus' feet Mary wasn't having a kip on the sofa. She wasn't, not that she would have been, she wasn't on a phone somewhere else. She wasn't watching telly. Now, I'm not, there's obviously nothing wrong with those things. But, but, but she was engaged with Jesus at that point in time. The, 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 she was sat at his feet and it says, heard his word. That she put herself in a position to receive from him. Now, of course, we can watch telly and receive from Jesus. I'm not... Don't, let's not get very kind of, kind of legalistic in that sense but there is something in that I think sometimes the jump from here we're not meant to do anything to receive from Jesus because Martha got it wrong the swing of that pendulum then becomes therefore I won't do anything I won't read my bible I won't sing a worship song because by doing those things I'm doing I'm trying to earn Jesus. And that, that's just not true. What we do in the middle is go, okay, as I turn to my Bible, as I sing songs, I'm not doing it from a thing of like, I'm singing this song to earn something from you, Jesus, or I'm reading my Bible to earn something from you. I'm doing it because it enables me to see you. It enables me to sit at your feet. And I'm posturing myself and saying, Good, Jesus, I'm here. And I know you're here and it just helps me to realise I'm sitting at your feet. It helps me to realise that I can receive from you. And I think sometimes we, we, we I mean we as a general church kind of swing to this side and go, actually I don't need to read this anymore. What's the point? It's all free. It's free, 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 free. I don't need to do anything. And in the same way, I don't need to sing a song, I don't need to go to church, I don't have fellowship with anybody. It's just free. It's all free. But actually by, by reading my Bible, by, by worshipping, by listening to people preach, by spending time with, with, with other Christians and discussing and sharing stuff by doing those things and what, what am I doing is I'm sitting at Jesus' feet 
I'm being Mary and I'm putting myself in that position. And God really challenged me on it because he's like, are you giving yourself time to just sit at my feet? In your day, in the business of what you do, are you sitting at your feet? Are you doing this kind of really kind of like, you're over here really, going, oh, it's free, and then just going, uh, thank you, I've received that, and then just coming back over here and just, just getting on with whatever, okay? Or are you like Mary, actually taking time aside from whatever the expectation was to do in the home, whatever the expectation was for that day, and going, Jesus, I'm just going to sit at your feet. I'm just going to put time aside. I'm going to turn the TV off. I'm going to put my phone away. I'm going to do whatever it is I need to do. Whatever it is that's applicable to me. Whatever it is that, that's relevant to me to just sit at your feet and just be with you. Because in that space, in that moment, I am going to receive everything you've got for me. Which is everything. Because everything I have is yours. And it, as we do that, it starts to make us realise that the impossible becomes possible. Because it just baffles me. Like, like think about this, the, the, there's so many instances that the disciples got it massively wrong. But just think of the way they were thinking. So, so Peter sees Jesus, eventually sees Jesus walking on water. And decides, actually, I'm going to walk on water. And the problem is we read it in the Bible, we go, okay, that was really cool. But just think about it. He saw him and went, okay, that, I can do that. Well, because he spent so much time with Jesus that that didn't seem ridiculous anymore. That wasn't to such a degree that going, well, that's the most stupid idea in the world. Because what happened, he'd spent time, for one of a better expression, at his feet. He just spent so much time that the, the, the ridiculous started to say, okay, okay, you're doing it, you're, you tell me to do it, I'll go and do it. And it's not necessarily going to Peter because Peter's amazing. It's just because he just spent time around him. And therefore the impossible started to look reasonable. The, 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 even the disciples, when they, when they messed it up and they said, Jesus, should we call down fire on that, on that place that didn't receive us? Just, just the thought process in their mind that actually that's a possibility. Stupid possibility, but a possibility. But in their minds, like, should, we, should, we, yeah, should we kind of like just destroy it because, because they didn't receive us? It's like, and, and, and it's, it's obviously ridiculous and it just challenges them, but it's that their mindset is changing. That they're starting to shift and think, actually, wait a minute, this might be possible. That the, 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 they, 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 they pray for people and they, and they start to see them kind of um, see them set free and see them healed and therefore start to go, actually, which one of us reckons the best? Which one of us do you think is the best, actually? Which one of us is the one that's going to be like his number two? Who's that going to be? But... Uh, and we look at him and go, oh yeah, it's terrible, I can't believe they did that. But think about that. Jesus had affected them so much that they weren't thinking, which one of us is the worst? They were thinking, which one of us is the best? Who's the greatest one amongst us? And Jesus never challenged them. And he never said, actually, guys, no, no, no. Don't want you to think about who's the greatest. What he went was, okay, you want to be the greatest? This is how you do it. You make yourself like a child. And, it, and my point is that, that he, they were affected in a way that made them do stupid things and say stupid things, both because they were inappropriate, but also because they were just crazy in terms of like the extremeness of what they wanted to see happen because they spent time with him. And they'd followed this guy, and this guy just transformed the way they saw situations. The, 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 when you start to think about it, they, they started to recognise so much that they're going, actually, when you get into heaven, I want to beat your right hand. But their expectation is actually, this is changing my thought process. And of course they got it wrong, but they're starting to think bigger because they spent time with him. And that's what sitting at his feet starts to do. It starts to change my expectation of circumstances. And I don't start to look at it as a lack anymore. I start to go, okay, wait a minute. There's something that's possible in that situation. And if I start to look at it as a lack, maybe I've just 
been trying to do too much or maybe I've just been passively sitting by and not doing a lot. Maybe I need to get myself back at the feet of Jesus. Maybe I need to get myself back home and just go, I just want to sit with you and I just want to look. I just, I just want to remind myself of you and how you deal with those situations and what you do in those circumstances and how, how just see you again and realise that actually everything you've got is mine. I want to finish with one last story. And that's in Luke 8. I told you we spend all the time in Luke today. And it's verse 26. And it says this. Luke 8 verse 26. And then they sailed to the country of the Gadareans, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped to Jesus, when he stepped out on the land... There met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but he lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded, so for Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him and was kept under guard bound with chains and shackles and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness Jesus asked him saying what is your name and he said legion because many demons had entered him and entered him and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain so they begged him that he would be, permit them to enter them and he permitted them then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine and the herd ran violently down the sh- steep place into the lake and drowned when those who had fed them saw what had happened they fled and told it in the city and in the country then they went out to see what happened and came to Jesus and found the man who, um, whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid I'm going to stop there that is the an example one example and I'm using it because it it has the eye the same connotation of sitting at the feet of Jesus. This guy is so extreme, and we've looked at it before, but so extremely tormented that he has been excluded from his community, that he is, has no clothes on, that he is so freakishly strong because of whatever's going on in him that he can break chains, has been out of his mind for so long that people don't associate with him at all that you can imagine kids in this in this community talking about the crazy guy that lives out in the caves or in the tombs you can imagine the stories that happen to do with him that people probably like go near and then shout and then he goes mad and they run away again or something like that you you can imagine the kind of exclusion this guy is feeling and coping with and and he's so far not in his right mind that he is so affected by what's going on that he's kind of the extreme end of what we would see in terms of psychosis and what in terms of what we see with schizophrenia, in terms of what we'd see as, as all, all kinds of mental illness. And I'm not saying that mental illness is all to do with this, but in this case, he would look like all those things we've seen. Because he was so far gone in terms of hu- normal human behaviour, normal human interactions. And what I think is so beautiful about this story is there is nothing that Jesus does to find out why he's in this state in the first place we don't even know which is beautiful we have no idea why he's in this place there's nothing that Jesus does to rebuke or condemn the man 
he, he speaks to those things that are oppressing him. And it, for me, even beyond that part of it, it's a story of what happens when someone sits at the feet of Jesus. That all of his mental torment is gone. All of it. That he is clothed again. He has some dignity and identity back. That it specifically says he's in his right mind. And I love the language that says he's clothed in his right mind. That Yes, I know he's clothed, and yes, he's in his right mind, but just the idea that, that his right mind is clothing him again, the way he appears, that the way he carries himself is different, that he wants to, and this may be really subtle, he wants to follow Jesus. So the idea of the, the, this kind of guy who, for whatever reason, can't function in society, now wants to follow somebody, wants to go with them where they go. He's not irrational, he's not kind of like changing his mind from minute to minute, wants to go and follow Jesus, wants to make a commitment, wants to be invested into something. And yet at the same time, then when Jesus says no, doesn't take offence, just does what Jesus asked him to do. And that might sound subtle, but, but how often do we see where there's been abuse or neglect or some problems in the past, actually things that start to come up are like defiance or disobedience or lack of ability to commit to a job or commit to a relationship. And this guy is showing commitment. Mm. He's showing obedience. So many obedience like you will do what I say, but obedience, like he's following the direction of somebody. He's showing um, a kind of a, 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 a lack of offence and lack of victim mentality that Jesus said no to him. Think about that. Jesus said no to him. Jesus said, no, you're not coming with me. This guy has become so whole and so secure that that doesn't cause him offence. That doesn't cause him to go, well, why can't I go with Jesus? They're going with you, Jesus. Why can't I go with you? Because that, that's not a thought in his processing now. He's got to such a point of freedom that she goes, okay, that, that's fine, Jesus. I won't come with you. I'll go and do what you asked me to do over here. And we know later on from the story that the whole community was completely transformed by what this guy did. But my point is that, that that extreme case, perhaps extreme case, is what happens when we sit at the feet of Jesus. That kind of transformation. Because everything Jesus has is his. And the guy sat at his feet, the guy received that, and was clothed and in his right mind. And as we come and go from trying to do, do, do to earn it, or just trying to go, oh, I'll just be passive and do whatever I do, or go from working in the field, or riotous living, or whatever it may be, and we just draw ourselves, whatever, whatever we find ourselves in that spectrum, we just draw ourselves back to the feet of Jesus. And go, actually, Jesus, I'm putting myself back at your feet. I'm putting myself back in a situation, back in a, a, a point of going, actually, I'm just going to be with you. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make time for that to happen. To make time at the start of my day, to make time at the end of my day, to make time in the middle of my day, whatever it looks like. I'm going to make time to be at your feet, Jesus, because actually I'm starting to see that as I do that, everything you have is ours. And actually that supernatural, wonderful stuff that goes on in heaven starts to flood through my life. And it starts to bring wholeness and healing and restoration to me. And it starts to bring wholeness and healing and restoration to the communities I live in. Because that's what happened to this guy. The people were scared. Why were they scared? Because this guy was notoriously known. This guy was known in that community as, a, as, the, as the crazy one. And Jesus somehow, in a moment, saw the whole situation turn around. That, that, that is going to scare people. But he went back into his community, so the whole community transformed. So when the Jesus came there next time, they all ran to him. 
because of this guy. And that's the same thing for us that as we sit at Jesus' feet, that, that we find that restoration. And in that process of being restored, we go out and into our days of work or our families or whatever it may be, onto our communities. And it starts to bring a change in those places because the, we realise there's more than enough. It's not just enough for me now. It's not just enough that, oh, I'm, I'm feeling better now. But actually there's more than enough for everybody else I encounter. And I'm starting to demonstrate this God of more than enough. This one who just says, everything I've got is yours. It's freely given. So I guess my question to myself and to us is, what are we going to do? What do we need to address? What do we need to look at to go, Jesus, I need to give time to just come and sit at your feet. Time to just open my Bible and turn to your word. Time to just sing and spend time in worship. Time just thinking and meditating on you. Time just talking to friends about you. Time just doing stuff. Because the more I gaze at you, the more I engage with you, the more I see you, the more I might just start to think I can walk on water. The more I start to think that, 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 that people with the most extremely challenging mental torment can be restored in a moment. The more I start to realize actually society can be restored. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd help us in that. You'd help us to make space. You'd help us not get distracted by all the things that need doing or the things that fill our minds you'd help us to come like Mary and sit at your feet you'd help us to put aside those other things and just come and sit at your feet help us to know in that place we can hear your word we can hear what you say we can we can receive from you and as with the father in your story about the two sons we can hear you say everything I have is yours we can hear you give us our identity. We can hear you clothe us and experience you clothing us with who you've made us to be. We can experience what it is to be home. We can experience what it is to be embraced by you. We can experience what it is to, to know your just complete and utter lavish love towards us. The Holy Spirit, help us make time for that. Help us make space in our days and our weeks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.